Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today's episode is coming out a little bit late on Thursday uh, because of several reasons, one of which was the Thor Love and Thunder official trailer. I guess the last one we saw was a teaser. So that being said, uh, this week's episode, we're going to have a lot to cover with news. Um, I have a few updates and things to talk about and reminders uh, before we start the news specifically. Um, But we will be talking about, um, we have a coming soon section that covers a fair amount of DC stuff really uh, a little bit across the board actually Uh, we have trailers which are going to include the She-Hulk trailer Love and Thunder Umbrella Academy season 3 and just a brief bit on the Baymax Big Hero 6 spinoff because it's fun Uh, a little section on rumors because those are always a thing that's coming out and then for comics uh, we're going to talk news as the DC swimsuit editions which will be coming out in August 2022 of this year Um, Then we will talk comic book picks, which this week I am super behind on reading comics, so it's a little bit lax on the picks. I apologize. Uh, The pull list after that... Again, I apologize. Things are already out for this for the week uh, of this comics that I'll be discussing on the pull list. Um, but if you're curious what I was planning to um, pick up or read, you can still listen to the pull list section. We also have Young Justice season four, episode twenty three. The finale is out today on HBO Max. I will be talking about that on the next episode. This episode was the penultimate episode titled "Ego and Super Ego." Uh, we did decide to do a section on. Strange New Worlds, the new Star Trek show um, that really prefaces the original series in a certain sense. Um, Really, really enjoying it, so to heck with it. We're going to start segments on that, Uh, and this week we'll be talking about episode three, Ghosts of Illyria. Again, episode four will be out on Paramount Plus today. Um, Special things at the end of this episode include Marvel's comics for August 22, the comic book solicitations. Um, Things coming out in August of this year. I have categories that include points of interest, uh, new this month, Judgment Day, which is the new Avengers, X-Men, Eternals uh, crossover, which is going to include some Spider-Man and Fantastic Four crossovers as well. Uh, Other X-Books, Spider-Man, and then just general things that are continuing. The DC Comics August 2022 solicitations we will actually be discussing next week, uh, coming out on this coming Monday the 30th. And that I do plan to have out on time. (laughs) Uh, Finally, we'll wrap up this episode with the San Diego Comic-Con 2022 exclusive collectibles list. Uh, There's some really fun stuff that they have already released online for San Diego Comic-Con, and a good amount of them are still available. Um, So you can go check out all the links that I have below to see those after we talk about what they all are. Before we begin, let's cover some somewhat need-to-know information, or information you might want to know. The Yancey Street Discord for listeners of the podcast is available. Um, I put a fresh invite link, because they only last, I believe, seven days, at the bottom of each episode. Um, So if you're listening to an older episode, you can go back into the newest one and pick up the link there. That is a place for discussion of, of course, all things geek-related, as well as you know, general stuff. You don't have to go in there and talk about geek stuff, kind of other fun community categories and whatnot. Um, if you'd like to find me online, you can find me most easily on social media on Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics. 
Um, for podcast updates, the easiest place to find those are on Twitter. Uh, username is Savage She Geek there because Sensational was too many letters. And yes, it is a reference to She Hulk. <laughs> uh, my website is currently sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. I'm trying to. Um, I'm looking into getting that to be its own domain so you don't have to have the Weebly in there, regardless. Um, I've been picking up the site a whole lot, fixing it up, so uh, it, it's still relevant in addition to the podcast, so make sure you check that out to see what other information um, and fun stuff might be on there that I don't necessarily discuss specifically in the podcast. This includes a beginner's guide to both comics and manga, covering any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics, including some of my own recommendations and some popular recommendations that I have heard are quite good as well. Um, I also have reading orders of various leading ladies with Clea, Madeline Pryor, and Magic as three really relevant characters and Marvel specifically at the moment um, and anything pre-2021 that you might want to see if I have discussed on uh, the blog or the podcast is, is gonna you're gonna find that on the blog because that is all I started the podcast February 2021 so anything you want to see before that will be written reviews written poll lists and pick lists things like that um, you can also find my pod notes for reading the podcast it's just what I call the podcast notes um, and those are there in, um, instead of uh, where you can read basically read the podcast instead of listening to it. And of course, for anyone who is hearing impaired, if they would like to follow along with the podcast as well. Finally, you can find links to anywhere that you could listen to this podcast, uh, which is most podcast hosting apps. I'm pretty sure if all of the big ones, all of the uh, ones people really use are, are, uh, are listed if you have one that you know I am not listed on, let me know and I will get on that. Uh, I also have the podcast on YouTube where I post the episodes in a playlist um, if, if that's easier for you to listen from YouTube. I also post action figure review videos there. The, the username is, of course, Sensational She Geek. Um, has been a lot more import videos recently, import reviews of action figures, as I have pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line, uh, but I have a big backlog of Legends videos as it is, including the 2020 whatever, oh gosh, it came out last year, so I guess it was the 2020 HasLab Sentinel. Uh, the new the two new uploads that you can expect by late tonight, which again is May 26th, are some new anime imports from SH Figuarts. It's been my recent trend. Uh, one is Kefla, the legendary Super Saiyan fused figure of Khalifa, or Khalifa and Kale uh, from the final arcs of Dragon Ball Super. And the other will be Chibi Sailor Moon from of course, Sailor Moon. She is one of my favorite characters from the show. I specifically like her matured up, uh, aged up version a little bit better, uh, but she's everywhere, so gotta love Chibi Moon. I also have a podcast Patreon. It is there under Sensational She Geek, set up for donations to support the podcast. Each episode now comes with a 20 to 30 minute podcast after show is what we're calling it, posted exclusively on the Patreon page. I've only done a couple so far, which I have made for, uh, I've made them available for public viewing several days after the initial Patreon only post. So you can see if that's the kind of content that you might be interested in on that note. 
Um, there has been a lot, a lot um, happening national news of late. Um, very heavy stuff. If you want me to talk about that, I will more than likely end up going on that on today's after show if you would like to hear that, but um, not trying to upset anyone necessarily, so we're not going to be discussing that on the main podcast. Um, I also have a Kofi, which is like a buy me a coffee kind of thing for creators that you support. Uh, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, etc. All on my link tree for donations towards the podcast. And that should all appear linked, among other fun things, at the bottom of each episode's description. Finally, I do have a Redbubble shop. I'm having a little bit of issues with it with some new stickers I'm trying to get up there. Uh, But it does have some geek and podcast branded merch. Um, such as a Woman's Places in the Comic Shop sticker. Uh, the one that I'm having issues with right now is the um, Keep Gotham Weird one. They, for some reason, are trying to claim that Warner Brothers will try to sue them. I'm pretty sure Gotham isn't trademarked, but um, and also satire, so whatever. Uh, but it's Redbubble, so you can get these things uh, and the ones that they're allowing me to put up right now uh, as like a shirt, a mug, a print, whatever else you could really possibly one. Um, and I have a, a couple of designs like that, so you can look up there on Redbubble under She Geek Shop. Getting into the news, as I promised, we have some smaller updates, reminders, and things before we really get into the bulk of the good stuff. Uh, first off, what am I currently watching? Honestly, a lot of anime. <laughs> uh, my husband and I were talking about it this morning. The older we get, we are, like, making up for the fact that we were, like, trying not to be weebs as teenagers and in, in school and stuff so now we're like adults and we're like ah oh, screw it we we want to do what we want to do and making up for it by like overloading ourselves a little bit with this but that also ties into me updating the uh my website uh, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com to have a lot more uh manga stuff on it i know i'm saying anime is what i've been watching but i've also been reading a fair amount of manga as you you know, get more and more into these communities. You obviously learn more and more, same as you do in any community. Um, So I would like to kind of integrate my website to be not so much just, it's not just comic books. It's, I know I have a fair amount of of Star Wars and other media on there, um, but I want to make, I want to really get more like, maybe at some point anime, I'm kind of shaky about actually involving anime, but I can talk about things like manga because they are Japanese comic books, basically. and so um, I'm, I'm thinking about doing that, and I am integrating that kind of thing into uh, the website more, adding more content about things that aren't just comic books. You know, I'm talking more about Star Trek on the podcast now, um, really remembering how much I do love that. I still don't consider myself a Trekkie. <laughs> but yeah, just, just trying to um, expand my... I don't know, social brand, that sounds terrible to say, it feels terrible to say, um, to, to include a, a bigger variety of what I'm actually interested in because everybody is interested in a lot of things. But anyway, uh, some animes I'm currently watching, in case anybody else is, a couple of cuckoos, heroines run the show, uh, the Aharun-san um, Aharun show, it's adorable, and then of course Spy X Family and Demon Slayer finished, so... Uh, Spy X Family is just murderously adorable. 
Um, I have also been reading a lot of books, speaking of um, kind of involving myself more in my own hobbies, I've been reading a lot of books um, on ancient Egypt recently, which is part, I mean, it's a huge part of why I'm so behind on A, the podcast, and B, reading comics, as again, reading a lot of manga and reading a lot of uh, Egyptian texts, not Egyptian texts, but um, his, uh, Egyptian books on Egyptian stuff. Recently, this one that I'm reading is by Dr. Joanne Fletcher. Um, Joanne or Joan? I think it's maybe Joan. Uh, but it's The Search for Nefertiti, and it is... I like I, I have, I have like, destroyed highlighters in this book because I have been, like, enthralled by it. It's ridiculous. And then I ended up seeing on TikTok this video about ancient Egyptian perfumes, which is related to what Fletcher does, because her study started off with ancient wigs, and that's how she got involved in the whole Nefertiti story. And she explains the entire Amarna history. Oh my gosh, I could go on. Um, <laughs> maybe ancient Egypt is something I might end up writing a bit about and putting on my site as well. I should have been an Egyptologist. Holy shit. Um, but that's a big part of why I'm behind. Clearly, I'm, I'm getting behind in just the podcast opening by talking about it as well. Um, I'm trying to get more people to join the Discord. Um, I know it's kind of weird when there's not very many people on it. Um, but I'm doing... It's something I'm doing on Twitter as well is comic book trivia. Um, so far it's been comic book trivia. Maybe I'll expand it into other geeky things, other nerd things. Um, but nobody has answered any questions correctly so far. Um, for the few who have even tried. Um, yes, this is a challenge. I am surprised that I am one-upping the internet on all of this feminist trivia. So, um, please try and do something about that. Somebody try and answer something correctly and and reassure me that the internet knows these things. Oh, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, you know, I just like to educate people on stuff or give you fun facts. I don't know. Am I sounding like a jerk? I feel like I'm sounding like a jerk. I apologize. I'm just trying to give people resources and have some fun with this stuff. Star Wars Celebration starts today and it goes through Sunday. There will no doubt be a good amount of news coming out through that, so be prepared for a coverage on it on the next episode, episode 65. On that same note, Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus does start on Friday, or are they just calling it Kenobi? Regardless, it does start Friday, tomorrow the 27th, with two episodes, and then we'll be continuing on Wednesdays after that one episode per week. Um, additionally, as of yesterday, the 25th, we are two weeks away from Ms. Marvel, which is coming out on Wednesday the 8th on Disney Plus and Foreigner three or four weeks we will be doubling up it'll be obi-wan kenobi and ms marvel the same day I, I really think they could have done something about that but whatever it's how it's happening getting into the coming soon segment of the news we're going to be covering topics of wonder twins blue beetle plastic woman daredevil she-ra on amazon velma on hbo max and gotham knights on cw uh, starting off there with Wonder Twins. Now, you can probably guess what this was. It's been all over the news. Wonder Twins has been canceled. It was going to be an HBO project, I believe. Um, it, it's news that comes really 
just over a month after it was announced that the two stars had been cast as K.J. Appa and Isabel May as the Wonder Twins themselves. This is very similar to how the Wonder Girl show in 2020 was canceled very shortly after its announcement and adding the initial creators to the project, which was a in my opinion, a lot more devastating of news than this. Uh, from Variety, which um, is the article that I got this news from, it says, it also arrives, the news also arrives, in the wake of the Warner Brothers Discovery merger and Discovery boss David Zaslov's pledge to cut approximately $3 billion in costs at the newly merged company. Warner Wonder Twins reportedly carries a budget of $75 million. So clearly that's something that um, presumably Zaslav, uh, Zaslav um, believed was not an appropriate expenditure, expenditure, um, and they cut it, which is a really strange thing that they cut that before or after adding the stars to it um, and kind of making such a big deal out of it. Really, I feel like they were just steps away from showing concept art. Uh, Variety also reported that, quote, Discovery is exploring a significant overhaul of the DC entertainment operations, as well as that, quote, the Warner Media-owned cable networks TBS and TNT will no longer be developing scripted programming. Does that mean they'll just be doing reality shows? That's weird. Um, but yeah, it seems that Discovery... The Discovery Warner merger is really, really, really changing a lot of stuff for uh, all Warner Media, including DC Entertainment. It's going to be no exception from that. So um, this will probably not be the last of the um, the cancellations that we're going to be hearing about. Who knows what else is going to be happening? Um, but you know, hopefully for the stuff that does stick around, it will get better better treatment, better attentiveness, you know. On a better note here, the Blue Beetle movie has begun filming, and I was going to save this for next week's episode, but screw it, we're here. Yesterday there were some, I believe you would have to call them leaked photos, set photos, um, of his suit, uh, Jaime Reyes. It looks good! They're doing a great job, and I'm really happy to see that it's getting positive feedback across the board. They didn't try to go in some kind of, you know, MCU direction with the suit. They didn't try to go the overly armored style of the Young Justice show. I think they did a really nice job at a live action Blue Beetle suit. You can check out the pictures. I'm sure they're everywhere on Twitter um, and Instagram and other social media places if you are curious. But in back to what I was saying, the Blue Beetle movie has begun filming. It has a release date of August 18th, 2023, and it will be starring uh, Zolo Mariduena, I am so sorry, as Blue Beetle. So I, somebody's got to tell me his name and then I'll get it right after I hear it. <laughs> uh, the director, Angel Manuel Soto. Again, I just have to hear someone say it and then I'll be okay with repeating it. Um, he has been very open about his desire to authentically portray a multi-generational Mexican family because in the comic books, the Reyes family as a whole was very, very lightly touched on. They were not super visible as a group at all in the comics. So that's something that the director really wants to rectify, so to say. 
As for the cast, we know that we have Susan Sarandon as Victoria Cord. She is going to be playing the main villain. Um, we know that, I believe it is Ted Cord, who is a character who is usually close to Jaime Reyes, uh, but this Victoria is seemingly an original character. We have Raul Max Trujillo as Conrad Carapax. Carapax, apparently. Uh, he is going to be a second villain. In the comics, he was an archaeologist who accidentally had his mind infused with the electronic brain of a robot. He was a frequent opponent of Ted Kord's version of Blue Beetle. Um, speaking of Ted Kord, the Jason Sudeikis rumors that he's going to be playing Ted Kord have apparently already been proved false uh, by Entertainment Weekly. So if you're, he, it's it's not necessarily that he's not going to be in this show. It's that he's not going to be Ted Kord. Any relation between Victoria Cord and Ted Cord, well, we'll just have to wait until we have more information. We also have George Lopez as Uncle Rudy Reyes, Brazilian actress Bruna Marquezine, I believe, as a character called Penny. She seems to be an original character, though she may be based as a Reyes's, one of Reyes's love interests in the comic books, namely Tracy 13, who was a fellow Teen Titan and a, a fellow love interest of Ray, a fellow love interest, a love interest of Reyes's as well, Jaime. And yes, it is spelled with a J, but it is pronounced Jaime. Uh, see, that's what I mean. I just have to hear it and then I can repeat it correctly. <laughs> uh, we also have Belissa Escobedo as Milagro Reyes. Uh, he, she is, I'm sorry, she is uh, Jaime's younger sister. Milagro in the comics was one of the only more visible characters of the Reyes family. Uh, she was injured once by Black Beetle, who at the time claimed to be Reyes from the future, and further claimed that Milagro would one day destroy the Blue Beetle Scarab. In another arc of the comics, Milagro is devastated and traumatized when Reyes disappears for a year, and I believe there was something about her having some kind of connection with the Blue Beetle as well, but I don't recall, and I couldn't actually find anything further, so I was probably wrong. I would not be surprised if that was a the direction they went in the show, though. Or the movie, though. Just saying. We have... Oh, El Padilla, Carrillo, and Damien Alcazar as Rocio Alberto Reyes, Rocio Anabelto Reyes, who are the parents of Aimee. And we have Adriana Barraza as Nana, I suppose his grandmother. We also have Harvey Guillen, I think, as an indisclosed role. He is um, Guillermo in What We Do in the Shadows. So... I'm very curious to see who he plays. And again, the Jason Sudeikis rumors have already been proved false by, I believe, Entertainment Weekly. Um, specifically, he is not going to be playing Ted Kord. Um, I would not be surprised if he was to show up as Buster Gold. Oh my god, I said Buster. Booster! <laughs> Honestly, though, Buster kind of fits him better. <laughs> Booster Gold is a um, friend of Blue Beetle you know, throughout comic history. Uh, his, his briefly, because I'm thinking about it now, his whole story is basically he is a uh, rich guy from the future who did absolutely nothing with his life, so he uh, takes his future tech and goes to the past to become a hero with his future tech, because he couldn't make anything of himself in his own time. 
uh, Plastic Woman. This is a, uh, a new one that we don't have too much information on, unfortunately, but while we know that it is going to be an R-rated HBO Max animated series, theoretically in the vein of the Harley Quinn animated series, it is currently in development starring the voice of Leslie Jones who I adore. Uh, from Variety, they say, according to an individual with knowledge of the project, the show is not connected to the female-led take on the DC character Plastic Man that was reportedly in the works as a feature back in 2020. Uh, they also say, uh, well, actually, just to explain that, it was uh, the article headline at the time for that 2020 female-led Plastic Man feature was Plastic Man, female-led movie in the works from writer Kat Vasco. As far as I could tell, there was no further information on that project. Um, it kind of, uh, it kind of would seem that that project was scrapped and is now been replaced by this version that will be starring Leslie Jones. I'm literally just speculating though, uh, based on the fact that I can't find anything on that Cat Vasco project, and now we hear about this Leslie Jones project. So that's it. That's the Plastic Woman news. Um, I'm, I think it'll be hilarious. Sounds good to me. For the Daredevil news, um, it's confirming rumors, really, that they, they are going to have a Disney Plus show, and it is officially in the works. We have Matt Corman and Chris Ord attached officially now to write, as well as executive produced. Uh, Marvel has not announced anything yet specifically regarding the show formally. Um, this is all just stuff based on, um, you know, agreements and inner inner, I don't know, departmental stuff, I guess. Um, the former showrunners of the Netflix Daredevil series also have responded to this news, calling it bittersweet, understandably, as the show is now moving on, apparently, with a completely new creative team uh, without these uh, creators who basically put it on the map for Netflix and the rest of the world. Also, Kristen Ritter, after this was more or less announced, posted a tease of her as well as Mike Coulter's Jessica Jones and Luke Cage possibly returning. Um, Kristen Ritter, do not do this to me if it not true. This, I'm also curious if that's her way of like forcing them to invite them back if they haven't already. I'm sure they have because why would you just go with, why would you just bring back Matt and not Jessica or Luke? That's that 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 it's just weird, honestly. Uh, but 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 would you bring back? Would you bring back Danny Rand? I think they would have to give him like some major, major contractual stuff about like you've got to take acting classes, you've got to do the fighting right, like. You gotta do this, man. You gotta be an actor. Uh, but yeah, Daredevil show's coming. Disney Plus, uh, that's about all we know about it, besides the uh, writers and executive producers. As for the She-Ra Amazon news, we know that we have a director now. It will be Nicole Castle, who uh, was the director of several episodes of HBO Max's Watchmen show, which was brilliant, if I, uh, do say so. Can I say that about something I wasn't in part of, if I do say so? Um, but this She-Ra show, it is in early development still. It is coming on Amazon, and, um, it 
has really just been going the past six or so months of development. Um, DreamWorks Animation are serving as executive producers after recently having produced the Netflix animated She-Ra Princess of Power series. Um, the live action version, however, that they're working on now will be a new standalone story and will not be connected to the animated show. I am curious, though, if they're going to be going with the original story of Princess Adora or with the animated show story of Princess Adora. Um, I imagine they'll probably go in with the original one just because it's its own kind of project and the Princess of Power series was a, in its own way its own project as well. The original story of She-Ra is that her name is, as I've said, Princess Adora, the long-lost twin sister of Prince Adam, who you will recognize as He-Man. She was kidnapped as a baby by Hordak and the evil Horde, and taken to the planet of Etheria, where she was mind-controlled into serving as a force captain of the Horde. He-Man eventually helped her break the mind control and gave her the Sword of Protection, which allows her to transform into She-Ra and grants her incredible power. Um, in short, in the worst way possible, um, she's like a female He-Man. Like, if you want to really brutalize it down to the worst summary possible, she's like a female He-Man. It's really a terrible summary, but briefly, that's how you can remember it, I guess. Velma on HBO Max. Very briefly, uh, Mindy Kaling previewed the series at the HBO Upfront this past week. It is an adult-aimed, strictly comedy, including semi-nudity and gore. People seem to be mad about that, but I'm not really sure why, to be honest, because it is specifically not a kid's show. It's not a continuation of Scooby-Doo, necessarily, because it's... There's no reason to really think that. It's just Velma. Um, I don't know. I, it's it's made for you. Enjoy it. I don't I don't get why you're mad about it. Uh, Mindy Kaling also executive produces the show as well as stars as the voice of Velma, and her Velma will be of South Ace South, South Asian heritage in this series. The series is expected to hit HBO Max in late 2022 to early 2023. Finally, in this portion of the coming news, the, the coming soon news, uh, Gotham Knights on CW. They did a sizzle reel at the HBO Upfront again this past week. Um, as I guess there is nothing available to the public for that because I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, but we do have a new full synopsis. Um, and the one thing to know going into this is that this does not take place in the CW Arrowverse, nor is it connected to the upcoming game of the same name, which I don't know why they did that to themselves. I feel like that was an accident waiting to happen. Uh, but here is their new full synopsis. Batman is dead, and a powder keg has ignited Gotham City without the Dark Knight to protect it. In the wake of Bruce Wayne's murder, his adopted son, Turner Hayes, Oscar Morgan, is framed for killing the caped crusader, along with the children of some of Batman's enemies, Duela, Olivia Rose Keegan, an unpredictable fighter and skilled thief who was born in Arkham Asylum and abandoned by her father, Harper Rowe, Fallon Smythe, a streetwise and acerbic engineer, acerbic engineer who can fix anything, and her brother Colin Rowe, Tyler DeChiara, a clever transgender teen who is tired of being polite and agreeable. 
with the charismatic and hard-charging district attorney Harvey Dent, Misha Collins, and the GCPD hot on their trail, Turner will rely on allies including his best friend and formidable coder Stephanie Brown, Anna Lore, and and unlikely Batman sidekick Carrie Kelly, Navia Robinson. But our knights will soon learn there is a larger, more nefarious force at work within Gotham City. This team of mismatched fugitives must band together to become its next generation of saviors known as the Gotham Knights. Um, additional information includes Berlanti Productions, Warner Brothers Television, written by Chad Fiviash, uh, James Stotro, and Natalie Abrams. Uh, they're also showrunners and executive producing besides Greg Berlanti and Sarah Schitter, uh, blah, blah, blah. Additional information available elsewhere if you really need it that badly. For the trailers portion of the news segment, we are going to be discussing the She-Hulk trailer, the Love and Thunder trailer, the Umbrella Academy Season 3 trailer, and briefly the Baymax Big Hero 6 spin-off trailer. Starting off with She-Hulk, the release date for this series is going to be August 17th. We saw the first trailer this past week, and it came with mixed reviews. Um, a lot of drama on the internet. <laughs> some people questioning whether it looked good, and some people really telling them, no, you have no right to be questioning it. It's We can have opinions, it's okay. <laughs> uh, again, August 17th is when this comes out. Um, she looks uh, completely unfinished, um, which is a little bit... I hope that they're still going to be working. We have until August, folks. Hope, let's hope that they're still going to be working on that. Um, one thing that a lot of people were saying was that she looks supermodel skinny, um, which you know, okay, the skinny legs, whatever, but the skinny arms and the skinny torso, and it doesn't quite fit. Um, one disheartening thing about that was that the company who designed her kept sending over renders of her, um, and Disney kept sending them back, asking them to be less muscular, and less muscular, and less muscular every time they would send it back. And this is what we've come up with. So, uh, while hopefully they will be f working on re rendering her everything else a lot better, um, don't I, I would not expect her to be rendered physically much different than we see here in this trailer. Uh, hopefully she'll just look a lot more finished. I know people have pointed out that um, Hulk looks so much better than her in her own trailer. It's very obvious and kind of sad, yes. Um, in all technicality, the reason for that is going to be that she has been given a, her character render has been done technically under TV budget, uh, where Hulk's character renders were all done under movie budgets. Yes, I can see that's true, and they're saying, oh, if you wanted her to have such an excellent character render, then you should have had her premiere in the end of Shang-Chi instead of Bruce or something like that, you know? Um, I think she, I, I don't think that would have been a big enough 
premiere of her, first of all. And second of all, this is we're talking about Disney. The stupid excuses about a TV budget. They should have been working on her character render since they decided they were going to be making this show. Like, since they had an actress. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't see how a company like Disney could possibly use that as an excuse. That because it's a TV show, they're not going to put in as much effort. I, I, I don't see that. I don't see that. And if you're wondering, um, just to give an example of things that she looks very unfinished, when she carries the dude, you know, presumably into the bedroom, you know, whatever he is, workman or whatever, um, you know, cute and everything, you know, um, it looks like he's just floating, which is not what it looks like when someone's being carried. You know, it's that kind of thing. Like, he, he doesn't look like he has any weight to him, which, yeah, it should look like she's not putting in the effort, but he should still look like he has mass, you know? <laughs> look like he weighed light as a feather and bodies don't look like that. You know, it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't right. That whole sequence wasn't right. That's, that's kind of what I mean by she looks very unfinished. The rendering is very unfinished. And the face, you can see it a lot in the face, the scene where it looks like they're out in a field with some horses or something. I don't know. She's in a dress, a polka dot dress or something like that. You know, her, her torso looks like super blurry. Um, that's what we mean by she looks very unfinished. But as for um, other things in the trailer, her um, I'm obviously going to be making the August Yancey Street special about She-Hulk, um, obviously. <laughs> uh, I already have a great deal of it finished, actually, because I was going to have it come out much earlier because I thought the She-Hulk show was going to come out much earlier. Um, and that's a lot of why my May Yancey Street podcasts and everything specials are so late. I'm just, I've been so, I feel like I've been so busy. Um, but anyway, the She-Hulk story, I'll go over it more in depth when we get the, to, the, to, to August. But um, basically, she, cousin of, lawyer cousin of Bruce Banner, she lives in California, um, gets shot by this guy that the well, not the guy but the uh, the gang of the guy that she's persecuting or tracking down um bruce happens to be at her house she got shot in her driveway he gives her a blood transfusion to save her life and uh that's she ends up uh being able to become hulk through that um the first time that she transforms into hulk is when she's at the hospital and the guys come back to finish the job and she transforms into hulk to save herself basically um, it's, it, it's a lot of like tumultuousness bet among her like ability to transform and the, the, the pain. She has a lot of pain when she transforms in the first. Um, it's a little bit different for her than it was for Bruce. But anyway, um, in this version of things, it looks like there's, there's two ways that I kind of see it happening. One is her car is getting pushed off a cliff. Well, in any case, her car is getting pushed off a cliff, whether or not it is because, um, you know, she, whether or not it is going to uh, trigger her turning into Hulk or require her a transfusion that will eventually make her Hulk unsure. But those are the two scenarios that I see it is that, um, you know, it's possible based on some stuff that Bruce says in the trailer, it's possible that there is some kind of Hulk predisposition in their family you get a little bit more into the immortal Hulk stuff then. And I get kind of excited about, Oh, they could be going into like all that stuff that they did in the immortal Hulk series, which was wild. And, the, and the one below all and, and the green door and how Hulks are literally immortal. And Oh my gosh, 
and and how Bruce has really had this predisposition to Hulks since he was a child. The, full, the first Hulk that he ever experienced was when he was a child. Oh, I could go on. I didn't even read the full series. I've I've just like read the Wikipedia page and I know it's this good. You should read this series if you are a Hulk fan. Trust me, <laughs> Immortal Hulk. But I'm getting ahead of myself here because there's no way they're going to be doing that. As much as I want it to happen, there's no way they're going to be doing that. The one thing that they might be doing is taking some kind of genetic predisposition and making it so that when she gets attacked or, you know, her car gets pushed off this cliffs for the first time, that initiates, that triggers her transformation into She-Hulk, and that's when she goes to Bruce. Um, and that would be a plot that would be minus any kind of blood transfusion or attack previous to that. You could also say that this is happening because, um, you know, she, she already had the transfusion from Bruce, he saved her life, whatever, and then she gets attacked again, as in, this is what happens in the hospital, this is their translation to the show, they're doing it as a car accident, and that's what triggers her turning into the Hulk. But either way, it seems that the first time she's going to transition into She-Hulk is going to be uh, when that car comes off the cliff. We see very brief shots of a number of friends, as she says in the trailer, um, I would hesitate to agree that that's what that's all going to end up being. That's who those characters are all going to be. I know her main co-worker, um, the main person who is at her work, who she works with as a lawyer, is her like ultimate rival for really his existence in the comics. Um, and so I kind of am... I believe a little bit that that's probably him. Uh, one of those characters who it looks like is possibly in the law office with her, that's probably going to be him, the rival. Uh, we see a female character who I believe is the actress who um, said that she, all we know about her character is that she is She-Hulk's or Jen's best friend and she has been by her side her whole life. Um, part of me wants to say that's Patsy Walker, based on briefly seeing that tiny clip of the actress in the trailer, I, I highly doubt that. Um, the best friend who you meet in Savage She-Hulk number one does actually die in that, I believe, in issue one or possibly issue two as well, so unlikely that she's that character. Uh, but Jen does have a number of female roommates and whatnot throughout the, the history of her comics that that could also be. Uh, speaking of roommates, um, I'm very curious if they're going to tie her apartment into any kind of Avengers situation at all. Traditionally in the comics, um, she gets her first apartment uh, when she joins the Avengers from Wasp. Um, there isn't really a reason to think that the MCU Wasp would have any connection to the Hulk in any strong way and therefore to being able to give She-Hulk anything, it's more likely that she's just going to get her apartment from her cousin. We know that we're getting Benedict Wong return as Wong. We know that we're going to be getting Abomination. We see the actor there in the trailer um, in some kind of containment unit at one point. Um, and that's that was another thing that, speaking of the, the movie render, 
that's that's why they're saying Abomination has such a great render for the show is because he appeared in that scene in Shang-Chi with Wong in the fighting cages and so they were able to give him an updated render on a movie budget. I still think that's all just excuses and they could have easily done a better job at rendering She-Hulk. Um, I, I still fully expect them to have a better looking render by the time we see the final show. Um, we also see Frogman in the trailer, which is absolutely hilarious. It kills me how funny that is. Frogman is actually the son of uh, Leapfrog, who is a villain, and so he, he grows up to become a hero, Frogman. It's st he's stupid. He's so dumb. I love it. It's hilarious. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of what the trailer has given us so far. We have, let's see, mate, June, July, August. We have about three months until this is going to come out. So I have absolutely no doubt we're going to get at least two more trailers. Like at the very least, one solid plot trailer. You know, um, this was very much just a, like. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call it a teaser, but it was like the initial trailer that you see that kind of just shows you these are the characters that you're going to see. And these are like the brief, th the th brief themes. And then the next trailer is going to be the plot and stuff. So we'll just have to wait and see what changes really, if hopefully there will be changes um, in the very least how she looks between this and the next trailer. Um, but I, I, I believe it will be better. I, I think that they're going to be doing a better job. If they can go back and fix ugly, ugly um, Sonic, then they can fix She-Hulk. I mean, come on. <laughs> the Thor Love and Thunder trailer had me quite hyped and uh, I definitely think that Somebody is going to die for good in this movie, and it won't just be an audience member dying of heartbreak or possibly heart failure. But in any case, really good trailer. Super excited to see this one. Uh, it was released Monday night, which is why the initial reason of why this podcast episode was delayed. Um, first thing, I'm just going to kind of go through some points of this trailer um, what what I kind of noticed, stuff like that. First thing, the Masterson outfit Thor is obviously going to be, I mean, or Odin's son is obviously going to be um, himself. There's not going to be any kind of uh, Masterson Thor, I don't think, going on. But he does have the Masterson Thor outfit and the mask. Everybody was kind of like, are they going to do the stupid mask? And they're doing the stupid mask. Um, it does look pretty ridiculous. Um, it was made, his whole, his whole blue and gold new Thor outfit was designed by Weta Workshop, who are a New Zealand-based company that are, uh, kind of put on the map, to my knowledge, at least, by, uh, the Lord of the Rings project, uh, which they did, like, all the orcs and the costumes and just absolutely blew that out of the water and the miniatures and, oh, what I love what I, I follow them on, uh, all their social media, which is how I know that they were involved with this. Um, so that Weta Workshop designed his Masterson outfit. I think it looks absolutely stupendous. The mask is stupid as hell, which is what it looks like in the comics, so it's perfect. <laughs> I love that, I kind of love that they didn't try to, like, fix it. <laughs> um, they just kind of, they more or less gave it a, a one-ish to one-ish translation, and I think that's gonna probably fit Thor as we see him uh, during this time. Uh, there's also in the same scene that he's wearing the Masterson outfit. There is clearly no question of 
who Jane is, who the mighty Thor is when he first sees her. Um, it seems that it's pretty immediate. He sees her and within that conversation, it is revealed that she is Jane. So there's not going to be any kind of, uh, big mystery behind that, which on honestly is probably the, the right way to do it with the amount of stuff we're probably going to be seeing in this movie as it is. Um, one thing I want to question a little bit is the way they set up the clips, it kind of looks like um, the bit with the Guardians leaving is actually going to happen after Jane shows up. So I maybe wonder if that fight that we see him in the Masterson outfit when Jane arrives, I wonder if the Guardians are still around involved in that kerfuffle as well. I don't know, we'll have to all wait and see. But he does look pretty raggedy when he's saying goodbye to them versus his Masterson outfit. He looks pretty sharp, so it could just be clever editing and sound editing, which is honestly way more likely. Um, it appears that when they do go to Mount Olympus, the gods in general accept Jane as the true Thor, and they are going to assume that Odin's son is an imposter. Um, that would be why you see uh, Gladiator there shoot what's his name russell crowe you see as zeus um and he's basically accusing odin's son of being and in case you're wondering odin's son is just the term that's used to specify which thor you're talking about is odin's son thor not jane foster the mighty thor um but anyway because it doesn't look like they're really making him unworthy thor in this they're just making him another He's just hammerless Thor, I guess. But clearly some jokes about uh, naked Chris Hemsworth, and you can clearly see in those shots that he has, he as an Odin son, has um, Loki's helmet tattooed on his back, which is pretty funny. Um, and I wonder if they're going to like make any comment about that or just kind of have it there. Uh, you can see around Zeus, you have two male gods and four female gods. Presumably, these are other gods of the Greek pantheon. However, based on the shot of a kind of stern Valkyrie and Jane that was released um, or leaked possibly uh, a couple weeks ago, that had what appeared to be Bast in it, um, we will likely be having other gods of different pantheons at Olympus as well. Um, King Valkyrie obviously looks just, I just, I, I, good. She looks good. She looks killer. It's good. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I do question though, so in this we obviously get, while Thor is being stripped on accident, um, you have Jane Foster Thor and King Valkyrie in their pretty little cloaks in the stands watching and eating the grapes, right? And then they think back to that shot that was leaked or whatever, with that may or may not have had Bast in it, they looked very upset and very like they were about to pounce. And then we also have in the trailer them pouncing. Um, I'm kind of wondering what is what is the timeline of all of that? Because when they look super stern in that footage, in that shot, the one image, uh, the grapes are there. It's between them. So do they show up? Do they sit and get like really upset and then they kind of loosen up uh, after a fight? Or 
do they show up and think everything's okay and kind of like take it all as a joke until things get serious and then have to fight honestly it's probably the second one that that kind of feels like it's more accurate to the way things might go in that fight though note noted noteworthy uh jane i think everybody on the internet has pointed it out jane throws the shards of mjolnir uh, and sends them out as weapons themselves and then brings them back and reforms them it's pretty sick it's pretty awesome um i'm really excited to see what kind of cool new fight stuff um it sounds so cheesy to say but what kind of cool new fight like moves and stuff they have for her and king valkyrie who have clearly developed uh far beyond the last time that we saw them gore the god butcher is finally fully revealed here with christian bale um he he just looks like a pale christian bale really um it does definitely look like he looks more humanoid and normal when we first encounter him and many years down the line we're going to see him again somewhat scarred up um you know maybe it'll be thousands of years i believe in the comics it his his thing went on for years and years and years like that um but gore's whole thing from the comics is that he's the god butcher his whole thing is that he wants to kill all the gods if, if that wasn't obvious by his name um so you can pretty much assume based on this movie uh or this trailer i guess uh we're, we're probably gonna see <laughs> we're probably gonna see zeus get slaughtered if i had to guess uh probably a good number of the gods at olympus whoever they might be in addition to the greek gods um i i think it's that's probably um, you know, whatever disagreement they might end up having with Olympus, that will probably be what makes them all on the same page if they can get to that point uh, before it's too late, is that Gore is going to show up and do his stuff. <laughs> um, people were theorizing that as he kind of goes through his slaughter, Gore is going to be developing more of the comic book look of kind of the tentacly head. Um, no, <laughs> no, Christian Bale wanted his face to be very clear in this. So it's, it's, while they are doing a little bit of a uh, warping of him, uh, his face a little, just a little bit, it's more of just scarring. Um, so I guess you could say they're right in the fact that he is changing through the time as he goes through his, you know, vengeance or whatever. Um, but it's not going to be anything too extreme. He's just getting scarred the hell up because of, probably all these battles with gods um i definitely think somebody is gonna die final and last scene we ever see them in um potentially odin's son potentially jane and potentially king valkyrie um really potentially anybody in this movie if i'm being honest um i don't think anybody's really off the table aside from the guardians who obviously have much more important stuff to do in other movies. So if they're dying, it's not going to be in this movie. Um, but somebody is definitely dying in this, especially if that somewhat black and white sequence is going to be somewhat black and white in the movie, as well as it was in the trailer. Somebody is going to be dying. I really hope it's not King Valkyrie. Jane, I could see dying. Odinson, I can see dying. King Valkyrie can see dying, but I will be pissed. Uh, the last point that I wanted to bring up, a lot of people have talked about uh, the shot of Jane when she's doing her lightning rod thing as the mighty Thor. There are clear statues of Uatu um, being the Watcher, the Living Tribunal being the three-headed thing you can kind of see there. 
Lady Death, who is the skeleton thing. Um, and then there are two others that I can't quite tell who they are. Um, one of them was being speculated. Hang on, let me pull that up. Uh, their theory is that it is going to be Eon, who was the cosmic entity that created the quantum bands for Captain Marvel. Um, I don't see it, honestly, looking at it. I don't know. I guess it could be. Uh, kind of looks like Hercules to me. And then the uh, the fifth one looks like some kind of female figure. Um, I'm not sure what speculation is saying about that. Honestly, it looks a little bit like Destiny of the X-Men to me. Literally no reason why that would be so it's not. Uh, but there is a sixth figure that's there, um, and it looks like it's been crushed. It has been edited out. If you kind of look at it long enough, you'll see that the edges are a little bit weird. Um, I definitely think that is going to be something like um, uh, so, so, some fun reveal, like I don't, I don't think it would be Loki. Um, let me think. Kang? Kang would be an obvious one, obviously. Obvious one, obviously. Um, still holding out for Beta Ray Bill to appear somewhere in this movie. So maybe Beta Ray Bill. Um, but yeah, that's definitely gonna end up being a real full statue there in the, uh, in the movie. It was definitely edited out of the trailer. For Umbrella Academy and Baymax, we have much shorter discussions about. So let's go ahead and get into Umbrella Academy Season 3. The trailer was released this past week. Um, to remind everyone where we left off, the Umbrella Academy, as they are, the siblings, arrived in a parallel timeline when they came back from the past, um, or forward from the past. Uh, and now in this timeline they have arrived in, Hargreaves is alive, their quote-unquote adopted father, uh, and he is leading an academy that is apparently much more successful than they ever were, the Sparrow Academy. And they are made up of other super children who were born all on the same day as the uh, Umbrella students were. Um, in case you don't know, the whole thing is that on this one day, it was like... 300 women or 70 women or something like that across the world spontaneously gave birth and had had no signs of pregnancy before that and that's how these kids came to be um and Hargreaves tracked them down and created the Umbrella Academy but it was only these you know 11 or whatever it wasn't all 70 or whatever it was so this is where we get into the story a little bit of the other kids who were born that day so um basically what they kind of what they kind of run it down to the plot of this they cause the paradox and reality is going to be kegelblitz which i gotta find out what that means in german if it means anything um one of the taglines they have for this season is too many siblings not enough timeline which i think is hilarious uh the song over the trailer is the ballroom blitz which is classic and it goes along well with the uh, the rest of the show. It does seem like we're sticking with the kind of trippy, pretty artsy, musically and visually delightful, kooky in the best way, uh, brilliantly themed and uh, well-written, kind of fun, dryish humor of the Umbrella Academy show as it has come out. So I'm very excited to see this third season. I do not expect it to be very related to the comics at all because actually in a technical sense we have surpassed where the comics have uh, gotten to. So uh, the Netflix show has surpassed where the comics have gotten to. So um, I'm, I'm curious, A, when the next comic series comes out, is it going to be as... Is it going to be 
somewhat based on the Netflix show and be um, obviously like usual how much of this is going to be um, allowing for the comic stuff to kind of still exist. I don't know. I In any case, I kind of, in my head, I, I separate them really well, the comic and the show. So um, they're both great. They're both great for different reasons. They're very similar. They're very different, you know. Um, but I enjoy them both thoroughly. Finally, the Baymax Big Hero 6 spinoff is coming to Disney Plus on June 29th. It is going to be a TV show. I have a funny quote from Gizmodo here. It says, unexpectedly, this new trailer for the upcoming Disney Plus show really made a choice to give Baymax major Michael Myers vibes and that he's an unstoppable, relentless force just for helping people. No, really, he won't quit until he can provide assistance, and it's slightly terrifying. There's nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, and it, it feels like it's going to be very much in the vein of Monsters at Work. Uh, which you bet your butt I watched, and I will be watching this too. We have Scott Adzit as Baymax, Ryan Potter returning as Hero, and Maya Rudolph as Aunt Cass. Um, it does lean a lot more into the cutesy, uh, I guess you would call, health adventures, as opposed to the mech squad action of the movie, but it does still have wild action music over very basic stuff happening, which I think is going to lend itself a lot to dry humor, which I always love. Uh, we have a quote from series creator Don Hall to wrap it up here. In each of our six episodes, Baymax just wants to help someone, and a lot of times they don't want to be helped. He sets out to fix physical issue that he's identified, and in the process gets to a deeper, more emotional place, and can be almost transformative in that role. Again, Baymax premieres on June 29th. Moving on to the rumors segment of things in the news. Uh, these are three rumors that are pretty small-ish, um, uh, and they're all MCU-related, so we'll kind of go over them together. The first being Captain Carter, unexpected or not unexpectedly, the opposite of that. Unsurprisingly, um, it is rumored that there is a live-action Captain Carter project in development. She was really, really well accepted, um, even through everything in Multiverse of Madness, um, and people obviously really loved her in the Captain in the uh, Captain Carter in the, in the Agent Carter show. Um, and so it's potential, it's potential, it's possible that they are going to be giving her some kind of Agent Carter continuation. This is all rumors, but it would be a whole lot of fun to see. Additionally, we had rumors that Quake, Daisy Johnson, may be returning. Um, the character was played by Chloe Bennett in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Apparently, Simu Liu, who plays Shang-Chi in the MCU, tweeted something that hinted she might be returning, uh, which I know a lot of people have been really, really wanting. I think she herself even had a little bit of a campaign going for it for a while. Um, and so keep your keep your ears open at more news about Daisy Johnson's Quake returning to the MCU. The third leak and final leak was that, uh, well, third rumor and final rumor, uh, is, a, is a leak. In all technicality, we had some very blurry concept art of uh, what was apparently Namor that came onto the internet uh, this week. 
in addition to the fact that he will have a new origin, he will also have an Aztec design, which will be pretty much the comic design tweaked to have uh, a little bit of an Aztec heritage look to it, uh, based on renderings that people have kind of made based on the description. This is going to look really good, I'm not going to lie. Our final segment of the news is going to be the DC Swimsuit Editions, which will be coming in August 2022. Marvel is known for having done some of these back in the 90s. Uh, now DC is giving it a shot. They have a number of covers here that have all been released, so if you would like to get any previews at them, you can check them out online. Um, the August 2022 DC Comics solicitations I will be discussing on next week's episode coming out on the 30th. For the comics that will be featuring the Swimsuit Edition covers, we have Action Comics 1046 by Art Germ, Batman 126 by Mikhail Janin, Batman Superman World's Finest number 6 by Rafa Sandoval, Black Adam number 3 by Emanuela Lupacino, Catwoman number 46 by Jeff Decal, Deathstroke Incorporated number 12 by David Laffam, Harley Quinn number 21 by Megan Huang, Nightwing number 95 by Nicola Scott, which I'm sorry it looks so bad. Um, I can't be the only one who thinks that. <laughs> Nubia Queen of the Amazons number 3 by Derek Chu, and finally, save the best for last, Poison Ivy number 3 by Joel Jones with Jordi Belair. Uh, you can see all of these at the link that I will provide in the description. I did mention before that I am wildly behind on reading comics again, partially due to the fact that I've been reading a lot of manga and ancient Egyptian uh, books on ancient Egypt, Egypt I should say. Um, so the only three comics that I'm going to cover this week are going to be New Mutants 25 at long friggin' last, Immortal X-Men number 2, and Catwoman number 43. So starting with New Mutants 25, we have been waiting for this one for so long. Um, I have not, well I did put out the Magic podcast, so make sure that you check out the Ileana Rasputin special edition podcast from last month. Um, if you want to know anything about her, or if you're a fan of her and just want to hear me talk about her for about two hours, this issue was very good. Um, I am relieved to see that Vita Ayala, the writer, seems to have very similar ideas about Madeline Pryor that I do. Uh, Vita seems very familiar with the complexities of Madeline. You know, it's a lot of writers have treated her in the past as... Uh, just this evil villain. That's not what Madeline's story has been. And keep your eyes, ears open. I will be putting that Madeline Pryor podcast out next week for sure. Um, so I'll have all of her covered and all of her history and all of her complexities gone over there. Um, but the whole thing with Madeline was she was an X-Men for a long time um, as their like computer person not necessarily a mutant, but just their like human voice of reason and their computer person for a very long time, um, or at least long enough to become an integral member of the team. And when she became a villainess, you know, due to convoluted reasons, um, that all had to be kind of written forgotten about. Um, and I'm glad to see here that Vita pulls a lot of that history back in and makes it relevant again in um, kind of testing the character of Madeline Pryor. And I was also right in that uh, Mad, <clears throat> excuse me, Ileana Rasputin is 
looking to pass off the rulership of Limbo to Madeline Pryor, which does make a lot of sense uh, as her being the technical goblin queen. So in this issue, what we mostly get is um, Magic taking Madeline to Limbo to sign a contract to rule Limbo. Um, she brings with her Karma and Wolfsbane because they obviously don't trust her and want to protect Magic, um, as they have been through a lot through the years and are pretty much fairly good friends at this point. Um, obviously things don't go the way that they have planned. Uh, Sim the Demon is... He's a complicated guy, uh, but he ends up kind of going crazy and attacking magic and for whatever reason her soul sword shatters. Um, and when she tries to transport them back to Krakoa, they end up in some weird snowy place that I'm pretty sure is just another corner of Limbo. Um, <laughs> so this is going to be really interesting. So there's clearly, there's another, there's a third party here. Um, or there's another there's an additional party here that we have yet to know who they are um i have a feeling it might be some kind of weird magic from the future thing it might be belasco um it might be belasco's daughter uh witchfire i believe is her name um but somebody is manipulating sim and the other demons uh and goblins of limbo to try and fight against iliana so um that she's my theory on what they're basically doing with her here is that they are going to make Ileana fight her way back to the status quo without her magical sword and without her necessary connection to limbo and uh, so at that point she will be without the sword without limbo but still be the same character that she's always been if not just a little bit leveled up because she doesn't, she'll be strong enough. She won't need those. That's that's kind of what I'm seeing this plot line go for her. For Madeline, you know, hopefully she'll just end up being able to rule Limbo, and people will just leave her the hell alone for once. <laughs> Immortal X Men number two by Karen Gillan with absolutely brilliant art by Lucas Wernick. I'm so thrilled to see that Marvel is apparently giving him time and resources to do his amazing thing that he does with his art and not rush him along as we saw with the Trial of Magneto series. Um, I fully believe in the Hope Summers supremacy. Um, that scene, oh my god, that whole sequence um, where Celine is in London being like the mutant teaming up with the anti-mutant Londoners because <laughs> that's going to get her anywhere. Um, and so Destiny sees a vision of her getting shot in the head. And so she goes and she tells Hope and Hope's like, I get it. This has got to be me. And so she steals because she, she, you know, can absorb people's powers momentarily. She takes magic's powers. She creates a portal to the middle of the sky in London, falls through it, takes the shot while she's falling through midair, and then portals herself back to Krakoa all in one move. So then obviously Celine can get resurrected, right? Because her monster is still rampaging on Krakoa. So they resurrect Celine, and that's when you get um that's when you get Exodus um who I think is so cool uh and why don't we have a friggin Marvel Marvel Legend of Exodus guys really like you're giving us these dumb like 
things and like you still haven't given us an updated hope or an updated emma or an update or any exodus like come on okay whatever tangent um so exodus comes in and he um basically like controls her mind while she's still coming out of the rebirth fog so she can't stop him uh controls celine's mind and um controls her to stop the creature from rampaging on Krokoa and then snaps her neck like literally twists her head around backwards once it's done because they don't need her anymore and Hope just walks away with her rifle like I did that oh my god oh it was it was brilliant that's really all I wanted to talk about with this issue that was so bonkers um did we talk about Robot Moira? I think she showed up in a previous issue. But Robot Moira is a thing, and I, I don't really like it. But yeah, that's a thing too. Catwoman number 43, honestly, I had so much fun with. I have been shitting on the series since it began. This might be my favorite of the entire 43 issue run so far. Um, it was a complete 180 from everything else in the whole series. And a big 180 from Selena just a few issues ago in Harley Quinn, where she was acting like she hated Harley, which was itself very confusing. Um, so this was just a big throwback to Harley and Selena being best friends. The dialogue was a little bit off in places, and the, the voice of Selena has definitely still not been found by Teeny Howard, the writer. Um, but the art was just so cute. And them being friends again and going out and just doing fun girly friend things was just so fun. Um, I really hope that in some time in the, in the not too distant future, we get to see the Gotham City Sirens truly together again, having a blast. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, the comic book pulls that I'll be going over are things that were already out. <laughs> These are uh, books that came out Tuesday the 24th and yesterday, Wednesday the 25th. Today is Thursday the 26th because life... We'll talk about it later, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, with some things that we have that we're exciting to look forward to this week. Code 45, number one, from Scout Comics. This is by Benjamin Hunting and Joel... I don't know how to say his last name, I'm so sorry. Um, but that is... Um, has to do with dragons in the tunnels beneath Montreal. Uh, Spectro number one is by uh, Joe, or sorry, Juan Doe. I had the D and the J switched. Um, he is written and illustrated by Juan Doe. It is a quartet of quintessential horror tales uh, in a single prestige format, once one shot. One shot? Yeah, one shot. For some reason, my head didn't think that sounded right. Um, and this one is coming from Spectro. Nope, that Spectro is the... I don't have the publisher here. Hmm. Fox and Hair number one is coming from Vault Comics by Jonathan Sui and Stacy Lee. Um, it is about a black market coder who has to get um, help from mercenaries in their futuristic city. Triskel finally came out this week. It's been several weeks of me, I think, having this in the solicitations. This is by, it's a one-shot about uh, basically Celtic myths and legends by Felipe Pan and Mona Ramos. Legion of X number one came out from Marvel from Simon Spurrier and Jan Bazulda. This is, uh, let's see, this is Pixie, Juggernaut, Nightcrawler, 
and Legion as more or less a team. Bloodstained Teeth number two from Image Comics by Christian Ward and Patrick Reynolds. I was atrociously impressed. Is that a, can I do that? Atrociously impressed? Uh, with the first issue. Um, and I'm really excited to read the second one. And I recommend that if you are into kind of dark mystery vampire stories, you will too. Uh, one of the only two DC comics I have for this week, Batman Beyond the White Knight number three, part three is Sean Gordon Murphy's one, two, three, fourth iteration of his Murphyverse stories coming from DC Black Label, this one being his more or less retelling of Batman Beyond. Harley Quinn number 15 by Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rossmo features Harley Quinn and Batwoman and the team-up. Monstrous number 40 from Image Comics by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda has one short line for the solicit. With time running out, Kippa takes matters into her own hands, challenging the Dust Court itself. Finally, Saga number 59 by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples from Image Comics. What the hell does this fish have to do with people who want Hazel dead? Find out this May as the strangest epic in comics continues, somehow still only $2.99. Which that reminds me, um, Todd McFarlane likes to brag that Spawn is only $3.99 and I just really want to rub it in his face that Saga not only sells better, but is a cheaper comic. Young Justice Season 4 Episode 23 was the penultimate episode of the season titled Ego and Super Ego. The final episode is out actually today on HBO Max, which we will discuss on Episode 65. We can really tell this season is about to come to an end because we're hitting on so much stuff so quickly in this episode. I have broken down the episode by locations. I hope it makes sense the way that I have this all broken out. Uh, so we start off in Markovia, where a gang in a truck with blunt weapons chase down a young metahuman boy, saying that true Markovians don't put up with metas, quote, infecting their homeland against what the current rule might publicly claim. Geoforce of the Markovian Infinitors hero team stops the gang. Uh, you get somebody who yells mother of goat and one of the thugs un escapes. I do think it's funny that they're all speaking English to other Markovians uh, in Markovia. They only seem to find the other team member when they make chase through the forest, but the audience can see that from behind it's actually the thug who is a meta himself in disguise. It would seem that he is actually one of the Infinitors who is also a thug, question mark. Later, the Infinitors take the boy, Lizard Johnny, he calls himself, to the palace. Uh, the leader of the Infinitors is King Brian, of course. Finally, some Markovians come in and speak actual Markovian language in Markovia. Imagine that. Lizard Johnny is taken away, actively being brainwashed with propaganda that the king did what he had to do to protect the country when he killed his own father. This may be true and legit, I'm not really sure, but the way that the guy is talking to the kid is very odd and very much like he's trying to get away with something. Meanwhile, the officials speak with the king in their home tongue about the new meta policies he's enacted. He mentions that their missions may look like they're trying to take away kids from the Justice League Metahuman Youth Program, and that the same guy, uh, and then the same guy comes back with his weird worming propaganda, convincing everybody that everything is all good. His name comes out to be Zviad Bazovi. He leaves, and the king realizes that Johnny is gone. At the Markovian Youth Center, Lizard Johnny is watching a video about their government 
um, the government here in Markovia and how they can activate your metagene for you if it hasn't been done yet. But then you have to join the Infinity Cadets, which it seems is their new way of recruiting people into their homegrown superhuman army. Major, major propaganda. And as soon as Johnny sees it, he wants to join this hero army. King Brion witnesses this, having tracked down Johnny, and notes that Johnny was previously at the Taos Center, which is the Justice League Superhuman Youth Program Center, um, where he could have just as easily been a hero trained for their teams. Again, Zivyad Bazovi comes up right then to discuss some things with the king. But now concerned, his hero teammate asks Brion to confirm that he wants to go speak with Bazovi to have this discussion, but Brion hesitates. He's clearly made uncomfortable by the man as well. It's possible that he might be under some kind of mental influence, as Bazovi keeps touching him at these times, I noticed. The skeptical Infinitor teammate is ended up taken on a mission with two others, including the one who had been disguised as a meta-hating thug earlier on. They go to a government uh, guy's house and basically threaten him to leave the country due to his family not having the metagene. The skeptical team is very much not for this, but they kind of think that she's playing along. In Ivy Town, Violet is moving into their dorm at college. Their friend tells them she wants to be more than friends. On Taos at the MetaHuman Youth Center, Dinah meets with the kids at the group. Violet shares their success of moving in for college and how they signed up for the Muslim Student Club orientation. But in terms of their friend wanting a romance, they feel like their emotions are still blocked. It involves their previous relationship with Brion the King, and his sister Tara is the one to speak up in defense of their having left him. Gar ends up getting an emotional support dog, Wingman in his name, of course. With Wingman, he is able to slowly get his life back on track. Later in the, mate later in the meeting, Violet texts with the King Brion to talk. When he doesn't respond, they take a boom tube to visit him in person. They still disagree with how he came to power, but he insists he's trying to make something good from the ashes. They came to see if there's anything between them, but now they, now, now that they are no longer a damaged mother box. Things are going well until Bazovi shows up and riles up the king by bringing up his downturned proposal to Violet. She, she, uh, they tell him that he's still stuck in the same place he was a year ago when they left him while they've been making changes and finding themselves. He says that they didn't leave, that he kicked them out. Brion is frustrated as they go ahead and leave as Violet leaves, but Bazavi is very pleased by this interaction. Outside in Markovia later, uh, Rosa, the skeptical teammate, speaks with King Brion. She doesn't like the look of things, and he asks for more information. Meanwhile, Violet has decided to go see their friend Harper, who had asked them out. In the Phantom Zone, Phantom Girl, Tinya Wazo, has finally come um, to have a chance to speak with Superboy, and her voice is weird. She tells him that she can face through matter by phasing her through her own dimension of Bixel, which is how she thinks they wound up in the Phantom Zone in the first place. Back on Mars, she saw him about to die in the bomb, and she tried to phase him back to her home of Bixel, 
but, quote, between the pain and your body's high density, they didn't make it. She assumes the Phantom Zone is a transdimensional buffer between the dimensions of Mars and Bixel, but that means that she might be able to get them both back. However, when she tries, he's basically been brainwashed by Zod and refuses to go with her. It does occur to me, when are they going to tell Ms. Martian what's going on? Tinia continues to try and convince Connor that Zod is bad, but is interrupted by the man himself and his wife slash second in command. Of course, Connor immediately rats Tinia out, and when they command him to seize her and bring her before them to kneel, she apologizes and phases the out of the Phantom Zone on her own. Arriving back on Mars, her hand is utterly burnt from trying to save Connor from the lava pits. On Metropolis, Zaytana and her team arrive at a junkyard. Artemis slash Tigress, I'm not sure what she goes by now, Nightwing, Aqualad slash Aquaman, and Rocket are her teammates. She summons Trogawags and asks them to rebuild the crushed bus uh, for them in exchange for any car on the lot. They do it, and when they get their payment of a car, Zaytana sends them home with it. The McGann question is brought up now, and Nightwing says that they need to wait until the situation is resolved to prevent further damage to her. On the magic school bus, yes, really, the team prepares and they head to the Phantom Zone. End of episode. Over the credits, though, Troya and Black Lightning give speeches at the future site of the Hall of Justice. They speak of partnerships between the League and the neighboring United Nations, which honestly just sounds like a problem waiting to happen to me. As promised, we are discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds episodes, starting with this episode. Starting with there, episode three, titled Ghosts of Illyria. Um, I, I love this. Um, it was a nice female-heavy episode, which is another theme that I really love in Star Trek. Uh, we'll go over a couple of themes that, from Star Trek that I really enjoy uh, through this. Uh, the plot being, after a certain planet visit, the whole crew starts breaking out in a certain disease that makes them addicted to UV light, basically. It was all ends up being because of a glitch in a transport beam, in short. <laughs> the chief medical officer turned out to be keeping something on the shift buffer in secret. His daughter was diagnosed with cancer and was given 12 weeks, and he could not watch her wither away, so he stored her pattern in the transport buffer until he has the means to help her. Instead of turning him in, Una gives him the alternative way of storing her so that this problem won't happen again. Empathy, a main Trek franchise theme. Love to see it. It is revealed in this episode that Una, who is, of course, the number one, Una is Illyrian, something that she had to actually hide to join Starfleet, as they are not allowed to join its ranks. To dumb it down, Illyrians as a species are genetically engineered humanoids. They are meant to keep, it is meant to keep them safe against plagues and sickness and everything else basically that they could think of. But here, it's actually Una that ends up being the solution to the problem with her advanced genetics. This episode also really goes over the idea of biases still existing in the galaxy even so far in the future. As the forward-thinking progressive society of Star Trek is one of my favorite themes of the franchise, seeing it delved into this way was truly excellent TV to me. It shows that we are all in constant progress and that every one of us is capable of learning something that betters us as a person. Each of us are responsible for seeing that our world one day becomes the utopia of the United Federation of Planets. 
in their time, humanity specifically looked to the stars because as a species, we move beyond from things like movies, television, celebrity worship, and politics of the ground. Joining the rest of the universe proved there are always more stories to be told, but those things simply became out of interest to the general public as we moved on to greater interests. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the point is I really like how this episode made a bit of a point to show how improved the United Federation era of thinking is, but even then we can always learn and always do better, both individually and as a species. And I absolutely love Gene Roddenberry. Be the person that Gene Roddenberry would want you to be. Getting into the comic book solicitations for Marvel Comics in August of 2022. As I said before, we are breaking this up into a couple different categories. Uh, we're starting off with uh, points of interest, in my opinion, points of interest. So we'll call that Anna's points of interest. Uh, and then we have some things that are new this month. Some highlights for Judgment Day, which remember is the Avengers X-Men Eternals event, which I think is just pure bonkers, but we'll see how it goes other X-Books that are not involved in that event, Spider-Man comics, which again, the ones that are not involved because some are, and then we have just general continuing. So going back up, scrolling to the top of that list, uh, starting off with my points of interest here. Um, of course, kicking off with one of my classic favorite characters, Captain Marvel. She'll be having issue number 41 coming out in August by Kelly Thompson with art by Alvaro Lopez. Covers by Juan Frigeri and a variant cover by Dave Johnson. The way that they phrased it was very strange. It says, Beyond Amazing Spider-Man, variant cover by Dave Johnson. Just a bit for odd phrasing, the way they do that for solicitation sometimes. But... What it says is, Hell hath no fury like a witch scorned. While Captain Marvel has managed to break free from her magical prison, she hasn't broken free of Enchantress's rage, and thus finds even worse problems waiting for her in New York. It's a problem all too familiar, but with deadly secret at its heart. One that could destroy Carol if she makes the wrong move. And what about L'Oreal versus Binary? We haven't forgotten that. Now, I'm fine with... Carol and Enchantress going up against each other. That was something that was set up in one of the last major arcs of the series when Carol fights Enchantress's apparent future son um, and kind of beats him and then kind of uses her to beat him and it's this whole mess. Um, so obviously Enchantress is not happy with her. Um, while I'm not too big of a fan of women fighting women, Enchantress is kind of a wild card. Well, what here I am not happy with at all is L'Oreal versus Binary. <sighs> because what that means is that Binary is going to end up becoming a villain. Unless this is somehow like a fun, yeah, they're playing dodgeball and they're going to see who wins. I highly doubt that. <laughs> um, not liking, I, I, I would rather have L'Oreal versus Binary as like a you know, Goku and Vegeta seeing how, you know, hard they can go and how, you know, powerful they really are, you know, that kind of thing. L'Oreal versus Binary. Don't think that's what's happening. Um, so I'm probably not going to be very happy with that, with that part of the plotline. We'll see how it all plays out, though. Strange number six, the Clea series, her first solo series. This is by Jed McKay with art by Lee Garbett. I did mention a few episodes ago that I have kind of pinpointed um, some of the issue with my the portrayal of Clea in this, and it is that you can tell on like with Christopher Cantwell and Patsy Walker in the Iron Man series, you can tell that Jed McKay does not have a passion for the character. And that is something that I think has become very apparent with um, 
the finer touches that could be a little bit better with this series. But again, this is by Jed McKay, art by Lee Garbett, covers by Javier Rodriguez and Lee Garbett. What it says here is, Wong takes center stage. Someone has stolen pieces of Wong's memory, but he's going to need them back to stop the blasphemy cartel. It's up to Wong and Bats to retrace their steps to find the truth. But could this memory be better off forgotten? See, this is going to be an issue that probably has absolutely no Clea in it. It's a reverse solo series. How messed up is that? <laughs> Truly messed up is the answer. She-Hulk number six by Rainbow Rowell, Rowell, Rowell and Luca Martin. Mariska. I guess they're doing a guest artist in this issue. Uh, but the good news is it seems that She-Hulk is continuing past the six issues that we all kind of predicted it would end at, so that's great. Covers for this issue by Jen Bartel, of course. Um, Ejiwa Edge Ebenebe? Ooh, Ebenebe? Ebenebe? Ebenebe. I'm sorry, it's, uh, they go by Edge, apparently. <laughs> what it says is how many miles does it take to save the universe? The smash hit of 2022 rolls on with its best issue yet. Nightcrawler visits Book Law? But what does he need legal defense for? I guess that's what she starts. And and what are the- excuse me, I'm choking on my own saliva. Lovely, I know. Uh, one of the greatest traditions in Marvel Comics continues history here history continues here. Not sure what they're talking about there. I'm just happy this series is going beyond six issues. New Mutants number 29. It looks like this one will be focusing less on magic and uh, Madeline and more on the other side of the New Mutants gang. This will be by... Oh, well, that would explain that. It is not by Vita Ayala. It is by Danny Lore. It's going to have art by Guillermo Sana. So basically this issue is not important if you're following that plot arc. Um, covers by Raphael De La Torre, Rod Reese, and Rod Reese. <laughs> I guess he's doing too. It's a sibling revival. Gabby and Karma have gone missing. And it's up to Dakin and James- Okay, just kidding. I'm totally reading this if it's about Gabby and Dakin. <laughs> and it's up to Dakin and James Proud start to track them down. Stained by their own sense of failures concerning their respective siblings. Dakin's guilt over not being able to protect Gabby from the Shadow King and Warpath's avoidance and reuniting with the recently resurrected John Proudstar. The two must face their own insecurities in order to find the young mutants. I think that actually, okay. Danny Lore, don't mess this one up. Finally, Jane Foster and the Mighty Four, Thor, number three of five by Torin Grombeck and Michael Dowling, covered by Ryan Stegman and the illustrious Peach Momoko. In this issue of note, Jane versus Sim of Limbo for the fate of Asgard. We know, uh, based on the discussion briefly of uh, New Mutants number 25, that Sim has been a character and Limbo has been a place very relevant in Marvel Comics. I'm very curious if that has anything to do with it being in this series. So the solicitation continues. The battle against the Dark Elves and their allies rages on in Asgard and the warriors of the Golden City are losing badly. Runa and Valkyrie has managed, Runa the Valkyrie has managed to stave off total defeat, but Asgard desperately needs Thor. Can Jane find clues to the Thunder God's whereabouts in Limbo or will she lose herself to Sim's dark magics? I think that's gonna be an excellent crossover of themes. Moving on to the new this month section, we're going to do everything else with a little bit less um, in-depth discussion as those were. So first off, Damage Control number one of five by Adam F. Goldberg, Hans Redianoff, and Charlotte Fullerton as writers, with Will Robson and Jay Fosgit 
on art, covered by Carlos Pacheco and Will Robson. It's apparently from the TV's The Goldbergs. It says, Marvel's unsung heroes finally get sung after the mega-powered battles and whole global catastrophes. Damage Control is always there to clean up the mess and get things back to normal, but Damage Control is much more than just a glorified cleanup crew, and this new series will pull back the curtain to reveal the secret inner workings that were previously only available to people with clearance level 8. And we'll witness it all through the eyes of Gus, a fresh-faced, eager newcomer to the company who has no idea how chaotic his life is about to become. That sounds awesome! Uh, let's see. Ultraman and the Mysterious... Oh, the, mis the Mystery of Ultra 7, number one of five, by Kyle Higgins, Matt Groom, David Tinto, David Lopez, and Guri Hero. Guri Hero is a team of female Japanese artists who are absolutely adorable. Uh, this will be one of five. And we have covers by EJ Sue, Nick Posh. Oh, sorry, Nick Roche, I can read. Francesco Mana, and a photo variant as well. Miss Marvel and Moon Knight, number one, is going to be, as far as I can tell, a one-shot uh, by Jody Hauser and Ibrahim Robertson, with covers by Sarah Pacelli, Peach Romoko, Declan Shelby, period. We also have uh, Ghost Rider Vengeance Forever, which I believe is also going to be a one-shot. This one is by Benjamin Percy, with art by Juan Jose Reap, covered by Bjorn Barons, Pepe Larraz, and Adam Kubert with Joe Kubert. Moving into the comics that are going to be Judgment Day tie-ins for like the fifth time in the podcast. Judgment Day is Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals all more or less fighting one another. Um, the comics that are going to be included in Judgment Day in August, we have Judgment Day number three and four. These are by Karen Gillen and Valerio Shitty with, a <laughs> yes, that is his last name, uh, with covers by Mark, let's see, for number three, we have Mark Brooks, Scotty Young, Peach Romoko, Lucas Wernick, Alex Horley, Dan Jurgens, and another Mark Brooks. For number four, we have... Let's see, Mark Brooks, Salvador La Roca, Pichromoco, Ashley Witter, Luciano Vecchio, Chrissy Zulo, and again, Mark Brooks. Avengers vs. X-Men Death to the Mutants number two of three is by Kieran Gillen and Guiu Villanova, I think is how that's pronounced. We have a cover by Asad Ribic and Humberto Ramos. Immortal X-Men number six is another tie-in by Kieran Gillen. He is just killing it uh, with Art, I guess, guest art by Michelle Bandini. Covers by Mark Brooks, Phil Noto, and Kafu. X-Men Red number six by Al Ewing, Stefano Caselli. We'll have covers by Russell Dodderman, Taran Clark, and David Nakayama for its axe tie-in. Marauders number six by Steve Orlando with art by Andrea Brocadaro. Oh, I totally said that wrong. Brocardo <laughs> has a cover by Kale New. X-Men number 14 by Gary Duggan and Siafilla uh, has a cover by Martin Coccolo with a variant by Russell Dodderman and another variant by John Romita Jr. Wolverine 24, Benjamin Percy, Federico Vincentini has covers by Adam Kubert and Tim Levins. X-Force number 31, again Benjamin Percy with Robert Gale, covered by Joshua Cassara. Amazing Spider-Man number 10 is also going to be an axe tie-in, go figure. This is by Zeb Wells and Nick Dragota, <laughs> with a cover by John Romita Jr. See, I, I laugh because 
It kind of seemed that they could put John Romita Jr. on the Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man series to kind of like convince people that'll be good, but he's not even making it to issue 10. I just say it's hilarious. Uh, covered by John Romita Jr. and Jorge Fornes. Fantastic Four number 47 is actually by David Pepos, so hopefully we have a new creator and Ewing, or not Ewing, but a slot is just out completely, hopefully. Um, art by Juan Cabal, covers by Kafu, Russell Dodderman, and John Tyler Christopher. Finally, the last axe tie-in in August will be Avengers number 60 by Mark Russell and Greg Land, again, shifting the names of the writers. This is a Jason Aaron series. Please tell me that we are getting a new run of Avengers. Art by Greg Land, which is unfortunate. Covers by Javier Garon and Marcos Martin. As for the X-Books that are not involved in the uh, Avengers X-Men and Eternals event, we have X-Men and Moon Girl, number one, which is another one-shot by Mohali Mashigo and David Cutler. Covers by Aletha Martinez, Kari Randolph, Ejiwa Edge Ebenebe, which I already messed up once, so why not again? Um, we also have Exterminators, number two of five by Leah Williams. And look at that, they did not say when issue one came out that there was going to be a limited series, and now they've announced it. They had to get people excited enough to get that first issue. <laughs> Uh, Exterminators 2 of 5, Leia Williams with art by Carlos Gomez, covers by Carlos Gomez and Federico Vincentini. Knights of X number 5, Teeny Howard and Bob Quinn with art by, or with cover by Yannick Paquette, who is fabulous. And finally, for the X-Books in August, Legion of X number 5, C. Spurrier, Jan Bazolda, oh, Basel Dua, and cover by Dyke Ruin. Other Spider-Man comics coming in August includes Amazing Fantasy number 1000. This one we obviously will discuss a tiny little bit. This is going to be including writers that are Neil Gaiman, Armando Iannucci, somebody tell me if I was right in that one, Jonathan Hickman, Dantzla, <coughs> Hoche Anderson, Kurt Busiek, Anthony Falcone, Rainbow Roll, and more. All of those except for one. Sounds great. Jim Chung, Oliver Cropel, Michael Cho, Goran Parlov and more on art. This issue is going to have covers by John Romita Jr., Joe Casada, J. Scott Campbell, J. Scott Campbell, J. Scott Campbell. I'm not even kidding. It says his name three times. He's got three different variants. Uh, Steve McNiven, Torin Clark, and Peach Momoka. Momoko. Oh my gosh. It says the comic that brought you Spider-Man hits issue number 1000. We're going to celebrate in this our 1000th issue of Amazing Fantasy. An all-star roster. Of course... That was a dumb solicit line, I'm sorry, but it just, like, said the same thing twice. An all-star roster of creators are coming together to celebrate Peter Parker and Spider-Man's birthdays. Good for Peter. Edge of the Spider-Verse, number one of five, is unfortunately by Dan Slott, but also Alex Segura and Carla Pacheco, so... Uh, maybe check it out, maybe not, it's up to you. Uh, art by Mark Bagley and more. We're going to have issues one and two in August. Oh, sorry, one through three in August. Amazing Spider-Man number nine is not going to be an axe tie-in. It is going to be a Hellfire Gala tie-in because it's not enough going on already. This is by Zeb Wells, Patrick Gleason, covers by John Romita Jr., Patrick Gleason, and Alex Savuik, Saviuk, something like that. Finally, Spider-Punk number 5 of 5 by Cody Ziegler and Jace, uh, Justin Mason, and Miles Morales Spider-Man number 41 by Saladin Ahmed and Christopher Allen. 
finally, the general continuing section. We have the variants, number three of five by Gail Simone and Phil Noto, covered by Betsy Cola, who I, oh, I love her art. I check this one out. It's going to be great. Iron Cat number three of five by Jed McKay and Perry Perez, variant cover by Emma Lupacino. Daredevil number three by Chip Sartsky with art by Raphael Delator and covers by Marco Cicchetto, Alex Maleev, and Paulo Sequeira. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings number two by Jean Luen Yang and Marcus Toe, covers by Dyke Ruin and, of course, Betsy Cola. I love that she's getting her moment here. Avengers Forever number nine by Jason Aaron and Aaron Cooter. Uh, the Carol Corps will be showing up in this issue, which I think is very potentially interesting. Thunderbolts number four of five by Jim Zub and Sean Izaksi, um, covered by Stefano Caselli. Genius Vell, Captain Marvel number three of five by Peter David and Juanan Ramirez, covered by Maria Loaf, oh sorry, Maria Wolf and Mike McCone. Captain America, Symbol of Truth number four by Tochi Onyabuchi and R.B. Silva, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with art by Carmen Carnero, who is a fantastic artist. Carnage number six by Rom V and Rohe Antonio. I guess that's what he's doing instead of She-Hulk that month. Hmm. Venom number 11 by Al Ewing and Brian Hitch. Avengers number 59 by Jason Aaron and Javier Garon. So I guess... Uh, we're not getting a new Avengers writer. Oh, but 60 is Mark Russell, so like I could have, I, I might actually be right about that. We'll see. Um, Hulk number 10 by Donny Cates and Ryan Otley. Defenders Beyond number 3 by Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez. Ant-Man number 3 by Al Ewing and Tom Riley. Savage Avengers number 4 by David Pipos and Carlos Magno with cover by Lino Francis Yu. Moon Knight number 14 by Jed McKay and Alessandra Capuccio. Punisher number five by Jason Aaron with Jose, with Jesus Saiz and Paul Azaceta. Ghost Rider number seven by Benjamin Percy and Corey Smith. Iron Man 23, which has nothing to do with Patsy, by Christopher Cantwell and Angel Unzueta. Black Panther number nine by John Ridley and German Peralta. Uh, Thor number 28 by Donny Cates and Salvador La Roca. And finally, Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi number four of five by Christopher Cantwell and Madibek Musabekov. Sorry. Um, there's obviously going to be a lot more comics than these coming out in August from Marvel. Do yourself a favor and check out the rest in case there's anything else that I did not mention um, that may strike your fancy. Our final segment on this episode is going to be the San Diego Comic Con 2022 exclusive collectibles. I have one, two, three, four different links in the description that you can find for all of these different figures and things. We're going to start, though, uh, at the top of the list that I made myself. <laughs> uh, Gundam Infinity, a Gundam trans mode. This is a really fun, uh, bright pink Gundam by Bandai America. Um, I think it looks really awesome. It is $35. There is an antique style avatar statue of Avatar Aang surrounded by some clouds. It's, it's made to look like an antique, uh, you know, like metal or marble statue of some kind. It's $50 coming from Diamond Select Toys. There is a line of actual um, VHS boxes that are action figures on the inside, one of which includes Bruce Lee, there's a number of others, and they are $25. Uh, 
Um, there is going to be a Avatar Aang in the spirit realm, being he's like, he's clear. <laughs> so he's like spirit Aang that is coming from the loyal subjects wave. Uh, we also have Sokka in his war paint coming from the loyal subjects wave. Arcade, Bebop, and Rocksteady as a pack coming from, again, the Loyal Subjects wave, and the last one from the Loyal Subjects wave being Casey Jones and some fun little effects with him. Uh, Batman the Merciless is coming as a statue from Beast Kingdom. There is a John Wick uh, action figure in that VHS line as well from Diamond Select. Uh, there is a two-pack of figures of Judge Dredd. The other is Judge Death, and you can kind of set them up so that they are fighting one another. There is a Marvel animated Spider-Man bust. Um, it's pretty cool. It has like the animation color uh, cutouts. There is a Throg six-inch statue from Beast Kingdom. Uh, let's see, a PVC Phoenix statue in her green outfit from Diamond Select a Robocop battle uh, damage car thing that he comes with uh, from Hia Toys, a Transformers VHS miniatures set from Diamond Select. Then we have from Pop, there they have the Red Scarab, aka Layla El Foule from Moon Knight. Uh, and then from Star Trek, we have a uh, Enterprise teacup prop replica, as well as a phase hand phaser bottle opener. And the last two things, one is from Monty Python, a Black Knight motivational statue, and the last is a pair of green hornet enamel pins. Again, all of those links, if you're curious in any of those products, are in the description. And that wraps up today's episode for this week. Again, apologies that it is so late. It kind of had to be. Um, I have been quite busy, really. Um, so I'm really just proud of myself for getting this episode out at all, if we're being honest. Um, next episode is planned on coming Monday, Memorial Day in the U.S., the 30th. Um, so be sure to be around for that because we're going to talk DC Comics solicitations, Star Wars Celebration recap, which I know a lot of that is already coming out today, and there's some really cool stuff, so definitely want to be there on Monday, um, or at least check out Monday's episode when it's out. Uh, we will be talking Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes one and two, which are going to be out tomorrow on Disney+. Plus. We'll be talking comic book picks, comic book polls, the Young Justice finale, which is out today on HBO Max, and Strange New Worlds episode four, which is out today on Paramount+. Plus. Obviously more as well, because there's always more. In any case, thank you for tuning in for whatever amount of the podcast you were able to. I've had my cat in my lap for the majority of this, so I've been pausing to wipe cat hair out of my face like every five minutes. Uh, it's summer and she is shedding. Uh, that being said, also make sure you are staying hydrated while you get sweaty about comics um, and other nerd paraphernalia and whatnot. Um, connect on the, the Yancey Street Discord. Please answer my... my um, my trivia questions. Nobody seems to be able to do that. Please, somebody answer one correctly. <laughs> and we'll see you again on episode 65.